Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been good, has been done in the sight of God. After this? Yep. Thanks, Elfie. Oh, cheers. Um, It's quite a passage, isn't it? There's so much in there. Um, Is cake still coming around? Beautiful. Um... Yeah, there, there is so much in that passage. I was reading it through the week. I was like, goodness gracious, there's a heck of a lot. Um, so we're not going to go through all of it. Um, but I just want to focus on a few key things that I thought were pretty cool. Um, and then we're going to... We, we've got into a good pattern, I think, of reflecting as a community and kind of applying that to us and saying, okay, well, you know, what, what does this passage mean for us? Um, but to get us in there, I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word born-again Christian. Um, I wonder if that's an image that you've come across maybe in media, maybe maybe in your world. Uh, for me, um, and this might be a bit patronizing, I don't know, but I'm just going to go ahead with it anyway. Um, for me, there's kind of three images that come to mind, um, and I'm going to name them. Um, the first one is Ray. Um, Ray is a guy, this is just a purely figment of my imagination kind of guy. I just made this guy up, but he exists probably. Uh, he's a street preacher. Um, so he exists on the corner of... Pitt Street and Park Street, 
Um, he holds a Bible in one hand and a really cheap microphone in the other hand. Um, and his MO, his modus operandi, is to yell, Jesus loves you, and kind of traumatize your way into being a born-again Christian. Um, that, that's, that's the Ray kind of figure. Um, the second born-again Christian is Nancy. Um, she is um, majority white. She's evangelical, deeply, deeply evangelical. Probably a Trump supporter. Um, and uh, she has two kids and a morality complex. Like, th- that is the, the born-again Nancy. Um, and she wears the title born-again kind of like a badge of honour. Like, oh, I'm born again, what are you? Um, do, do we kind of know that image, like that, that media trope? Um, and the third one that we see kind of trotted out in our media when it comes to being a born-again Christian um, is Slasher. Uh, he's the guy who's doing tours of our youth groups. Uh, yeah, we, maybe you, you've heard of this kind of guy. Um, he's, gone, he's got a harrowing story of rags to religion. Yeah, and he goes around telling people, um, particularly young people, uh, that he is an ex-criminal. He killed a guy once. Uh, and to be a born-again Christian, uh, you need to don't drink because that's the devil's drink. Um, and don't have sex because if you drop your pants, Jesus drops you. That kind of, that kind of mentality, that, that, that born-again mentality of morality and right Do, am, am i yeah that that's a thing like i haven't totally misread the world yet um there's this born again idea that's so trumped up um and we're gonna we're gonna waltz into that um and i want to say from the outset i reckon that each of these people probably has a really vibrant relationship with god um and each of them i would say is born again um but i think when it comes to the nuance of what Jesus is talking about in this passage with Nicodemus, uh, there's a little bit more to being born again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I, I want to kind of unpack for us a little bit tonight. Because um, I think it's actually a really beautiful picture. And what we're going to do is simply we're just going to walk through the passage. So ha- have your devices or your Bibles there, because we're going to go through the story before we open it up as a group and reflect on it a little bit. Um, about what that means for for us in our own spheres and us as a community. We ready to jump in? Uh, beautiful. So the story opens, Genesis. Uh, sorry, John chapter three, a little bit like a CSI scene. Uh, there's a teacher waiting, not necessarily on the docks, but let's call it the docks because we can. Uh, he's waiting on the docks. It's night time. Uh, he's a famous teacher and. A politician furtively walks towards him. Um, has anybody followed? Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's kind of like um, a modern-day bishop and politician rolled into one. He's kind of like your MP slash minister. Really powerful kind of guy. And you want to ask, why has he waited for nightfall to approach Jesus. Why does John say it's night time? Uh, now, commentators say, well, it might be really innocent. It might just be that they were really busy people. Uh, you know, Nicodemus's committees just got talking. And so the only time that he had to actually come to Jesus was at nighttime. It could be 
that uh, Nicodemus and Jesus were typical Jewish, Jewish men, and so they would stay up late into the night debating Torah, uh, discussing what God is doing in the world. Uh, look, that, that's really nice. I'm, I'm a sucker for intrigue, so let me just read into the story here. Um, I want to read something more sinister in here because John loves to play with images of light and dark. He just loves it. All the way through the book of John, there's light and there's darkness in this passage as well. It seems to be an idea that he's pulling out that Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night time. And so we're supposed to be on the edge of our seats asking the question, is Nicodemus a person of the light or is Nicodemus a person of darkness? Which one is he? And to to make it a little bit more complicated, the, the words that lead straight into this passage that Steph opened up for us last week go like this from John chapter 2. While Jesus was still in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs, keyword, saw the signs that Jesus was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He knew, oh, he did not need the testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. It's kind of this ominous sounding idea coming through them. And straight after that, Nicodemus at nighttime approaches Jesus. Um, In fact, this is the first of three interactions that we're going to discover as we go through John a little bit further. Uh, First of all, we have Nicodemus, who's a Jewish ruler. Uh, Then we have a Samaritan woman. Uh, And then we have a Roman official. So three interactions. And I think we're supposed to be thinking, are these people who are pursuing light or are they pursuing dark? That's a question that I think we're supposed to bring at this point. But let's keep going with Nicodemus. Um, Rabbi, he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one could do the signs you are doing if God were not in it. It feels like, I might be wrong, he feels like, He's a person pursuing truth. Uh, It feels like he's a person pursuing God and trying to understand Jesus at this point. Now, a little bit of nuance in there. Um, He perhaps hasn't quite yet grasped the enormity of who Jesus is. Uh, So already in the book of John, um, John the Baptist has called him the Lamb of God. Um, Peter has called Jesus the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Christos. Uh, Nathaniel has called him Son of God. Uh, Nathaniel has called him King of Israel. Jesus has had these accolades poured upon him. And Nicodemus, this Jewish ruler, approaches Jesus at night. Sinister? I'm not sure. Approaches Jesus at night and says, Teacher. There's respect. It's a bit of a step down. Um, He hasn't quite grasped what is going on here. Um, Nevertheless, uh, Jesus plows straight on in with the conversation. Um, And he comes back with a statement that feels a little bit unrelated to what Nicodemus has just said. Um, Jesus replies in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Let me read that again for you. 
very truly, like that, those words, very truly, we're supposed to take note. Okay, this is an important statement that Jesus is making. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus rightly has this really visceral reaction to it. Um, he, this idea of being rebirthed, uh, you can picture this kind of disdained confusion on Nicodemus's face. He's like, I'm an old guy. I can't go back into my mother's womb and be reborn. Can I? Can I? Like, that's, he, he just doesn't quite get it. Um, and so there's two ideas that I want us to unpack. The, the first one is kingdom of God, because that's really big. Uh, kingdom of God. And the second one is born again. So yeah, two ideas, kingdom of God, born again. We're going to unpack them in that order. Um, kingdom of God first. What a cool phrase, the kingdom of God. Um, right throughout the Bible, the idea of the kingdom of God is really key. Um, if, you've, if you've been around churches for a while, if you've been in the Bible for a little while, you'll know that this is a, a, a theme that keeps coming up. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, there is two ideas of what the kingdom of God could possibly be. The first one is, uh, it's God reigning in Israel as, as the king through earthly kings. So whether that's King David or King Saul or King Josiah, it's, it's God creating a way of living that is centering around justice, centering around uplifting the poor, bringing in people from the margins. Like this, this is what is right through the Torah. It's, it's rescuing people. And he does that through these earthly kings. That is one way that the, the Torah speaks about the kingdom of God. But as you go further and further on in history, you start to see this kingdom of Israel isn't that great. Um, time and time again, these kings just don't live up to the task that God has set for them. And they stray from, from what God has called them to be. And they lead Israel into all sorts of positions where they are actually now the oppressors. Israel becomes the people who are, uh, are causing distress destruction within the nations. And so and so a new idea starts to come up about the kingdom of God and you see this in Ezekiel, Isaiah, through the prophets and especially towards the later ends of the Hebrew scriptures and that is a future kingdom. This idea starts coming up that okay, this kingdom isn't that great, but God is still king and one day, one day God is going to draw all things together. Uh, one day, the kingdom of God is going to be a reality and all people will live with mercy and justice. And, and it's a, 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 for a big theology word, chucking it out there, an eschatology, an eschatological hope. It's this future one day when God will do it. Then Jesus is born. Uh, and something shifts a little bit in the way that we hear about the kingdom of God, because with Jesus, something new is happening. Um, and we've seen a lot in John already, haven't we, in these first three chapters, that Jesus is the place where heaven meets earth. That's a, that's a phrase that we've kept coming back to, heaven meets earth. And it's as though in Jesus, this future kingdom is starting to break into the present. Uh, so whereas in 
the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, it was a, a present kingdom and a future kingdom. Now with Jesus, we have the future kingdom breaking into the present uh, because the king has arrived. Uh, the king has actually begun to take his place on the throne. Um, and I think this is a really important way, uh, important thing to reflect on because it's really powerful. It's no longer we're just waiting for heaven. Uh, it's no longer we're just waiting for this hope that one day, fingers crossed, we might eventually get to a place where God's reign is established. Now it's your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and as Jesus walks around, it's as though the curtain is lifting a little bit. And we're getting a little glimpse of what the new creation is going to look like as Jesus feeds the poor, as Jesus brings in those on the margins, as Jesus reaches out to the outcast, he speaks to the Samaritan woman, he forgives sins, he says, you are welcome. And we get this idea that this new kingdom is starting to break in. Uh, this new kingdom is starting to break in because the king has arrived These signs that Nicodemus has seen, you know, it started with, you know, we've seen these signs that you're doing, so surely you come from God. These signs are the signposts to the kingdom, um, that, that the, the king has arrived. That's really powerful, don't you think? Um, so we have this idea that in order, uh, that, that Jesus is bringing the kingdom. And I think that the next question that we naturally should ask is, uh, well, how do we get to this kingdom? How, how does this kingdom actually? Uh, how do we? How do we get there? Um, you know, the, the Hume Highway takes us to Melbourne. Uh, the Yellow Brick Road takes us to Oz. How do, how do we get to the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says we are to be born again. Uh, no one can see the kingdom unless they are born again. And it seems like that's the route that we have to take. That's obscure, don't you think? That, like, that's a really weird metaphor, but Jesus said it, let's go with it. Um, this is the visceral image that Nicodemus arcs at. Um, so let's jump into that, that second idea of being born again. Here's something interesting. Um, the term again in that phrase, born again, actually has a double meaning in the Greek that gets lost when we translate it into English. Um, and this happens all the time when you're translating languages. Uh, think of the word right. Like if I were to say the word right to you, I am right. I could be saying um, I am to the right of Eric, um, or I could be saying I am a conservative politically, or I could be saying actually I'm correct. Um, or I could be saying all things, you never know. Um, like it's just one of those things that you, you have to take certain guesses when it comes to that. Um, uh, Jesus says you have to be born again, but that word again, it could also be translated as from above. Uh, you have to be born again or from above. Uh, and I think that's actually an interesting thing to note. Um, I don't very often nerd it out when it comes to Greek, but I think this is just one of those times where it's actually important because you start to understand the passage in new ways. And it's kind of cool. Um, Nicodemus assumes that Jesus was meaning a second time again. But Jesus could well be meaning you need to be born from above, similar to saying you, you need to be born from heaven. Like you, you, need to, you need to have a different type of renewal. 
uh, Jesus goes on to specify what it means to be born again, slash born from above. Um, And he says that you need to be born of water and spirit. Again, there's just so many metaphors. Um, You need to be born of water and spirit. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, let me just chuck in a couple of ideas that you might want to reflect on. Um, Some people take this to refer to baptism. Um, You might recall a couple of weeks ago in John 1, um, John the Baptist was baptizing And as he stood there on the banks of the Jordan, Jesus came to him. uh, And John the Baptist says this. He says, this is John chapter 1 towards the end. uh, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so there's kind of this merger of water and spirit as an image in John chapter 1. And it's around this idea of baptism. So maybe there's, uh, you know, if Jesus is saying you need to be born of water and spirit, he might be saying something like you need to be, you need to have the Holy Spirit and you you need to go through baptism. Um, Or maybe he's saying you need to go through what baptism symbolizes. uh, And baptism symbolizes a cleansing Um, It symbolizes new life. It symbolizes a turning from one way of living into another way of living, saying, okay, I've I've chosen to to have Jesus as the one who cleanses me. Um, So so, uh, a lot of people, in fact, probably most people, think that when uh, Jesus says you need to be uh, be, uh, born of water and spirit, he's saying, actually, you need need these elements involved. Um, And so now would be a good time to flag, I guess. If you've never been baptized... We should start that conversation as a side note. Um, I don't know about you. I, when I think about that, it doesn't quite sit comfortably with me um, because I, I, I don't think that in order to see the kingdom of God, you need to be baptized. Like, I, I don't think that there's anything super spiritual about that, that movement of being dunked or sprinkled and it actually gets quite close to almost being a like in order to be, in order to see Jesus in the new kingdom, you need to do something, um, and that is very against what Jesus says everywhere else. So I'm, I'm just I'm wary of that. That that I guess is just my flag with that one. But anyway, it, it's there. Um, a lot of other people look to moments in the Hebrew scriptures and see that water and spirit are often placed kind of side by side um, as a motif for cleansing and renewal. And it's kind of a motif that's that's constantly through the Old Old Testament. Um, Even the idea of pouring out of God's spirit, that's a mixing of motifs. um, It's pouring, it's, it's a liquid, it's a water and spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36 is probably the high point of this motif. Um, let me read to you from Ezekiel 36 from 25. Just enjoy the words. Like, just, just get lost in what God is saying in this passage because it's incredibly refreshing. This is, what, this is what God is saying to Israel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your impurities and, and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. And I just find this picture so beautiful. Uh, it's, it's a picture of renewal. Um, it's a picture of fresh starts and second chances. Uh, it, it looks at humanity um, and it says, look, yeah, um, you've stuffed up. In some cases, yeah, Kate, you've stuffed up pretty bad. Um, but that's, that's not going to be the end of the road. Um, that's never the end of the road for you. There's still hope because God is doing something remarkable. Um, and once again, as we've seen so many times through the book of John already, it's a gift. Uh, it's a gift from God. It's not an act from me. Uh, it's a self-giving act of God. And so I, I don't make myself clean in this situation. I don't pull myself up in this situation. I don't perform my own heart surgery in this situation. Um, God does it. And so, in John, um, Jesus gives this description of new birth from above, of water and spirit. Uh, it's a renewal, it's a cleansing. And Nicodemus looks at him, totally incredulous, and asks, how can this be? Uh, I'm so confused. And this time, this time Jesus kind of goes on the offensive a little bit more. You're Israel's teacher. And, and you still don't get it? How can you not get it? How can you call yourself a teacher, a leader of the religious movements and not understand that this is a gift for you. Like, how are you not getting this yet? And maybe I'm being too harsh on Nicodemus as I retell this story, so let's offer him a bit of grace. Um, But here's what I think is happening in this story. This this is kind of my best stab at tying some of these, these beautiful motifs that Jesus has given us together. Uh, Nicodemus, this ruler of Israel, um, this wise and learned Pharisee, um, is failing at this point to see that the Spirit is moving. Um, Is failing to see, and this is kind of using the words in there, that the wind is blowing. Um, All his religious pedigree, um, all his knowledge and superior understanding do nothing to uh, impress Jesus at this point. Um, in fact, may, maybe, I don't know, this is taking a stab, maybe they even get in the way at this point. You know, if, if the conversations that go on in John are any indication, then that, that might be the case. Um, you see, Nicodemus knows the Torah, um, but he's failing to see with true eyes 
the very one about whom the Torah is all about. Um, God in human form is standing right in front of him, but he is unable to see what God is doing in history at this point. It's like Jesus is saying, uh, you, have, you have a human agenda. You speak of these signs that you see in the flesh, but I'm about to tell you what's happening in the spirit above. And here's what's happening in the spirit. Here's what's happening, Nicodemus. Remember that story that you tell as a leader of Israel. Remember that story that you tell from way back in Numbers when Israel was out in the wilderness and they were moaning and groaning and complaining and whinging and they just turned their back on God again. Uh, remember that time and, um, and God sent in a bunch of snakes into the camp and those snakes started biting people and they were like, ah, oh, God, we need help. And he was like, I know. Um, and, uh, and so he lets Moses in on his rescue plan and he says to Moses, quick, go make a snake and hold it up high and everyone who looks at that snake will be rescued. And so Moses goes and he makes a snake, puts it on a stick, finds a high point, holds it up and everyone who looks at that bronze snake, that bronze snake wrapped around a stick, you know, ancient times, we still have that symbol for medical purposes these days. Uh, but that, that snake wrapped around a stick, and anyone who looked on that snake that was held up was saved. Nicodemus, I'm that snake. I'm the snake that is going to be lifted up. I am the snake that is exalted, lifted up. They're the same word, lifted up and exalted. I am the one who will be lifted up and everyone who looks on me will be saved. All of the darkness of the world, all the evil that is so deeply embedded into this creation that I made, that I love, all of the pain, all the heartbreak, yeah, all the rebellion, all that is going to fall on me. And I will take care of it. If only you would look. So Nicodemus, you can keep your religious pedigree and your Pharisee status. Because where I'm from, the heavenly realms, they amount to nothing. You see, you can't you can't sweet talk your way into this kingdom of God any more than a baby can sweet talk their way out of the womb. You can't good works your way into this kingdom any more than a baby can moralize themselves into this world. The kingdom of God isn't just for the rich or the learned or the powerful or the ruler or the wealthy, and it's certainly not just for Israel. Look at verses 15 and 16. The kingdom of God is for everyone who believes. That is, everyone who has eyes to see what is happening. That is, everyone who is born from above, who has chosen to say, Jesus, I need to be cleansed. I want to be part of your kingdom. So a born-again Christian 
as confusing as it is, and um, you know, we've seen Ray, Nancy, and Slasher, I think I called him. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they may have had a whole bunch of things right, um, but it's so much more beautiful than simply doing the right thing. Um, a born-again Christian is someone who's looked to Jesus. Um, and we, when we think of this image of new birth, um, of birth from above, we get this stunning picture of the Christian life uh, as a life of renewal. A life of being transformed from the inside out. Because that is what God does. God renews. God transforms. God takes those things which we feel are too dark or which we feel are too broken or which we feel are too desperately out of sync with this life. And God heals them. That's what God is in the business of doing. Nicodemus kind of disappears from the story at this point. It's as though he walks off into the night and we're left wondering whatever happened to him. But then he reappears right at the end of the story of John. Right at that moment when Jesus has been lifted up like Moses' snake. Um, And who should appear but Nicodemus, uh, accompanied by Joseph of Arimathea. And John tells us that Joseph, at least, was a disciple of Jesus in secret because he was fearful of the Jews. doesn't mention what Nicodemus was in that situation. Maybe he was out in public about his, his discipleship of Jesus. Maybe he was still living in fear. Um, but together, these two disciples take down the body of Jesus off this rugged cross and they lay him in a tomb and the impression that we get is that Nicodemus though he is one who may have walked in darkness for so long has himself been transformed because he's seen Jesus he's seen the kingdom he's looked at the signs and said I want a part of that and because of God's transformation, he has been reborn, born from above, renewed. Um, that's pretty cool, hey? Um, that leaves us with a lot to reflect on as a community, I think. Um, Tash, can I get you to play a song? Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to chuck out some ideas that perhaps you might want to reflect on and just sit with for a little while as as Tash plays. And once once she's finished, we'll, we'll chuck it out. Um, if people feel comfortable to say, hey, this is, this is what I'm thinking about, um, we'd love to kind of apply it to say, okay, well, what, what does that mean for me and what does that mean for our community? Um, maybe reflect on the idea of renewal. Um, renewal for yourself, renewal for us, renewal for our world, uh, what, what it means that God is the one who renews. Um, I'd love to know what you make of the character of Nicodemus. Have I been too hard? Um, I've certainly read some things into the story. I hope you'll you'll give me some grace there. Um, But uh, where does your journey intersect with his journey? 
I wonder. Um, does it intersect at all? I'd love to hear that. Um, one obvious benefit of being born again or born from above is kind of this idea of dual citizenship, where we're, yeah, we're in this world where we're surrounded by um, creation, but also we, we have one foot in the new kingdom. Uh, we're, we're heading that way and we're seeing that break in. So what does it mean to be a dual citizenship? Uh, a, a dual citizen, sorry. Um, I don't know. There might be a bunch more in there that you might be able to reflect on. Um, but Tash, I'm going to chuck it over to you.